Oh, my sons and daughters, welcome to the Book of John, the podcast companion to all of my warblings on Substack. And now, please turn in your books to chapter 17. Binge and Purge, part one. The last thing anybody needs is more TV to watch. When I was a kid, finding a really good TV show was like finding the Lost Ark. It was out there, but you had to dodge a lot of snakes and falling rocks to find it. Thanks to better writing, growing respect for audience intelligence, and the proliferation of streaming, the powers that be have guaranteed that we, the viewing public, no longer need suffer through mediocre TV. If you want only the very best shows TV has to offer, you have so many choices, you wouldn't be able to watch it all in a lifetime. A true embarrassment of riches. So you don't need me piling more choices on you. But I'm gonna do it anyway. Like I mentioned way back in my very first chapter of this nonsense, I'd been listening to The Complete Glass Teat, wherein Harlan Ellison collected all his TV columns from 1969 to 1971. I said that it was fascinating to hear him talk about a multitude of shows that not only didn't exist any longer, but no longer had any imprint on the pop culture lexicon. So now it's my turn to throw my trash into the garbage can of history by listing all my favorite shows of the here and now that no one will remember. Lucky you. Severance. This is a big favorite for me. Smart, funny, scary, with a story we haven't quite seen before. The quick pitch is this. A quartet of employees work for an enormous company doing nonsensical work that they don't quite understand. Now, you've obviously seen this a thousand times before in shows like The Office. What makes this different is that the workers have chips put in their brains that split them into two different people. The person who works in the office and the person who lives the rest of their life and neither remembers the other which is awesome for the person living the rest of their life, but for the person who is now trapped inside the office building, never experiencing fun or sleep or outside interactions, it becomes a repetitive hell. By turns hilarious and terrifying, it has master performances from everyone, including Adam Scott, Patricia Arquette, John Turturro, and Christopher Walken. Honestly, those names alone should make you salivate. The fact that this show also has much to say about how we compartmentalize our lives, our sadness, our grief, and how we can't escape ourselves no matter how hard we try, speaks to how lovely Severance is. They've reputedly had some trouble getting the second season off the ground, including replacing the showrunners, so I hope the show maintains its quality. Slow Horses Most spy thrillers are predicated on the notion that spies are all smart, focused, and amazing at their jobs. This is not that show. Gary Oldman is the boss of a number of losers who have washed out of MI5, some by bad luck, some out of incompetence, but for one reason or another, usually politics and optics, they can't outright fire them. So they exile them to the other end of the city and make them do mind-numbing busy work, hoping they'll get so bored they quit. But somehow, this group of failures and fuck-ups continuously find themselves in the center of intrigue and do their best to prove that they've got what it takes to be put back in the majors. This would be enough to draw me in, but the real highlight of the series is Gary Oldman farting and cussing as he stomps like a bull in a china shop. At first, he seems as burnt out and useless as the rest of his charges, but as time goes on, you realize that not only does he still got the chops to be in the game, he's really never left it. And though he doesn't think much of them, he will never allow his people to be victimized. Except by him. The first season of Slow Horses was perfect, the second didn't have quite the same kick, but the writing and acting is amazing in all quarters for all mankind. This one was a big surprise for me. I thought it was a modern TV version of the documentary of the same name about the 1969 moon landing. And in a way, it is, but with a massive twist. 
The show takes place in an alternate history where Russia beat the U.S. to the moon by a matter of weeks. And the fallout is staggering. By humiliating the USA, they ensured that the space race, which sputtered out in our history, in this world, never ended. Each season covers a different decade as the superpowers first rush to get to the moon, then colonize it, then militarize it. It's co-created by Ronald D. Moore, who developed the amazing Battlestar Galactica reboot in 2003, and it brings the same dedication to verisimilitude that made that show so great. And the best thing about For All Mankind is that stuff that we know as rock-solid history now is completely up in the air because everything has changed. Will Buzz Aldrin and John Glenn successfully land on the moon, or will they crash and die? This makes for great suspense, and I suspect it feels a little to the viewing audience like the original moon landing must have felt to Americans watching in 1969 in those moments leading up to its success. Poker Face. Y'all heard me go buck wild on this one a few weeks ago, but if you weren't with me, this show is a hilarious take on Columbo, and Natasha Leone is great in it. You should watch it. Fargo. Based on the popular 90s movie, the first season recreates the story of the movie, but with a few key changes, and to everyone's surprise, it's really good. Maybe not as good as the Coen brothers would do, but let's face it, almost nobody can beat the Coen brothers at their own game. And this show doesn't really try exploring the more noirish elements of the Coens, not just from Fargo, but sneakily throwing in bits and elements from their other movies. Each season, while its own story, relates to the other seasons loosely. And the cast list is amazing. Carrie Coon, Billy Bob Thornton, Gene Smart, Ewan McGregor, Jesse Plemons, Chris Rock, Jesse Buckley, Keith Carradine. I've forgotten half of who is in this. Fargo is coming back for a fifth season this fall, but it doesn't mind taking its sweet time between seasons. There's only been five and nine years. Quantum Leap. I love the original Quantum Leap, especially the performances of Scott Bakula and Dean Stockwell. But it was a show designed to be episodic, able for anybody to watch any episode out of context, and it rarely took advantage of the long-term story possibilities the setup provided. The new Quantum Leap has its flaws. It's often overwritten, overlit, and overproduced like a lot of network shows. But it has the same heart as the original, which I was real skeptical of it matching. The original was earnest almost to the point of naivete, often saved by the performances. The new show is much the same, but it keeps the same principle as the original. We change the world for the better, one person at a time. And because it trusts the audience more than they did in the 80s, they go full bore into all the different story possibilities, which is great fun. They've played with the format of the show more times in one season than they did in all five of the original, and I'm here for all of it. And while I do like the main two players, Caitlin Bassett and Raymond Lee, who are both very charming and likable, the big discovery on this show for me is Mason Alexander, one of the few declared non-binary actors in a network show, and they are an absolute gem. Their presence even allowed the show to do an episode focused on trans teenagers and the issues they face on a daily basis. I'm sure the anti-woke brigade hates Quantum Leap for the inclusion of Alexander alone, which just goes to show even though many of them claim to love sci-fi, they've never really understood what it did best. MTV's The Challenge. Even though I work in reality TV, or maybe because I work in reality TV, I don't watch a lot of it. This is one of the few shows I watch, whether I work on it or not. My wife started on this show as a story editor almost 20 years ago. I picked up the baton in 2007 as an editor and have worked on it off and on ever since. Put simply, it's a show about reality stars coming together and facing off in terrifying and life-threatening physical and mental challenges, trying to win money, usually involving being 30 feet in the air above a body of water. Some of these people have been on this show since they were barely adults, and the show has become something of a dynasty, showing these people growing as they competed, many of them now with families and wholly new lives from the ones we knew 20 years ago. 
And the host, TJ Lavin, has been on the show for almost two decades now, giving it a solid foundation as he encourages the players not to give up, not to quit, and best of all, laughing at them when they fail easy trivia questions. Bill Simmons refers to this as the fifth professional sport, and as someone who could give a hoot about football, basketball, baseball, or hockey, this is my sport ball. But if that's not enough to get you watching, I'll be working on the challenge for its upcoming 39th season, so you should watch and support the Nelson family getting a paycheck. The Bear. A young chef who's made his name working at Michelin star restaurants returns to Chicago to take over his family's greasy sandwich shop after his older brother commits suicide. Trying his best to make the Hole in the Wall a destination restaurant, Carmi is stuck with a kitchen staff that has operated completely outside the rules for years, and now the walls are crashing down, in some cases literally. Everything you may have heard about this show is true. It's an ode to anxiety, with every episode in the first season buzzing with the adrenaline. You wouldn't believe how engrossed you get in just one evening serving in a fast-paced kitchen. I was drop-dead impressed with the first season, which is why I was surprised that I liked the second season even better. Do yourself a favor, set aside some time to binge The Bear. Although, spread it out a little. You binge it all at once, your heart's gonna stop. Silo. An adaptation of the Wool books by Hugh Howey, this is sort of a murder mystery set in an underground silo where Americans have been living the last hundred plus years after an unknown cataclysmic event. A microcosm of American society forced into closed quarters, sound familiar? They have the usual trappings, a mayor, a sheriff, deputies, and for the most part, they enjoy a society about as good as one can expect for people who have never seen direct sunlight. The only connection they have to the world above is a single camera posted outside the silo, which records about 100 feet of wasteland directly in front of it. And every so often, a character utters the words, I want to go outside, and is then allowed to give up the society and go outside forever. The question is, why would someone demand to go outside when the dead bodies of the previous pariahs are lying right there on screen for everyone to see? Is what they see on screen real? Is it faked? Part of a larger conspiracy? Which is worse? There are plenty of shows I love that I haven't listed because I watch way too much TV, but many I didn't list because they've got enough notoriety on their own. If you haven't heard of Andor, the prequel to the Star Wars movie Rogue One, or The Mandalorian, the Star Wars version of a samurai movie, I don't think me mentioning them will boost their numbers any. House of the Dragon, The Sandman, The Peacemaker, and The Last of Us are also good fun. I watch and enjoy the Marvel shows, but the quality definitely varies on those. Looking at you, Secret Invasion. And hey, Black Mirror has a new season. I'll give you some time to watch these, and soon I'll have more suggestions for shows that have already been completed, and you can binge in their entirety because it's never too late to sit in front of the TV for hours at a time. Thank you so much for listening. You can reach me at Substack at John Patrick Nelson, or you can write me at the book of John podcast at gmail.com. Be sure to sign your kids up for this year's church summer camp. I'll see you next time.